Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to be here with you. Um, if you're watching online, we also want to say we're glad that you are tuned in right now. And if you're a guest with us, we're just so glad to have you uh, here at Edinburgh. Um, many years ago now, uh, I was in seminary. I, I, I was remembering back on a when I was sitting in class and my professor would be writing something up on the whiteboard and I wouldn't be able, I stopped being able to like read what, what he was writing. It started getting really blurry, really fuzzy. Um, I'd always had 20-20 vision, so I didn't think it was my, my eyes. I was just like, something's going on here because I've always been able to, to read the whiteboard. Now it was a challenge. I, I would drive home, especially at night, and I would not be able to read road signs, uh, the speed limits and signs. I'd actually miss my exit sometimes because I, I couldn't read the signs driving. Talked to Danielle. She's like, I think it's your, your, your eyesight. I think, I think you're going to need to go in and, and get some glasses. I'm like, no, I don't think that's what it is. I, I think this is going to pass. Um, went into, I think it was the DMV. You know, I think I was having to renew my license because it had expired. So I went in, and they made me take one of those eye tests, you know, where you cover up one of your eyes, and then you have to read the chart just to make sure you're, you're able to drive. And um, so I started reading. I was just like, okay, that's uh, a three. A six, a nine, five, eight, I think four. And they were like, sir, um, those are letters, okay? Uh, not, not numbers. Yeah, you're, you're right. And then I did the other one. I was like, okay, there are letters like maybe a C there. Oh, maybe that's a B. And I think I see a cat, all right? It was like, it was, <laughs> it gotten really bad. And so I had to go in and actually get glasses. And it was amazing because I'd never experienced that before. When I put on the glasses, all of a sudden I had 20-20 vision again. And I could see, I could, I could see what my professor was writing on the way. I could read the road signs. And I had crystal clear vision. And I tell you that story because that's my hope for us as a church, that we will have this crystal clear vision about Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. Because I believe when our focus is on him and when we see him for who he really is, we will have joy. That's why we're in this series. It's called Choosing Joy. We've been reading through the book of uh, Philippians together, studying through this book. By the way, how many of you have been reading the book of Philippians on your own? Okay, two of you. That's great. Um, I know some of you are because you've taken the, 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 the Bible study that we've put uh, together, the little devotional, and uh, I hope you're going on the myedinbrook.org. You can find that devotional there, but um, hopefully we're studying this book. I mean, there's something that happens for our hearts, for our soul that's good when we study a book in depth uh, together as a church. So I chose this, uh, this series, Choosing Joy in the Philippians, is what we got to get into because this main theme is joy. And friends, I, I think you know we, we are living in a time where we could use some joy, yes? I mean, I look at the world right now, and I see the division that's taking place. I talk to some of the old-timers around here, and they're like, yeah, I've never seen political division like we are seeing today. We are just divided. I mean, there is anger, you know, on both sides of the aisle. I would even say hatred. And so we're living in this tension right now. This is a unique time. That we find ourselves in. You add to that, the, to the political turmoil, you add to that to COVID. And, uh, you know, some of that, is, it's affected you personally. It's affected your job. It's uh, affected your income. And, and you add all that. And we are living in some troubled times. But if you are a believer, joy is still yours. You can still rejoice. 
you still have reason to rejoice. Despite all the things going on in our world, despite everything taking place in culture right now, if you are a believer, you still have reason to rejoice. This is how Paul is going to start off Philippians 3. He says this in verse 1. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, don't forget, we've talked about this. Paul is writing this from prison. He, he wanted to make it to Rome to hang out with the, the church there and to preach the gospel and the good news and to see the mission advance there. But he didn't end up in Rome as a preacher. He ended up in Rome as a prisoner. Things had not gone the way he had hoped. We know the church of Philippi, they're experiencing persecution and they're suffering. They're, and says they're sharing in Paul's own suffering. Uh, uh, and, and, and yet, in the midst of all that, in the midst of all that, it, Paul doesn't say be happy here. But he does say rejoice in the Lord. You know, we talked about this week one, that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is an emotion based on our external circumstances. It's temporary. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes, let's be honest, we're not so happy. But joy isn't like happiness. Joy is deeper than happiness. Joy is spiritual. It lives in our soul, and it's rooted in our relationship with the Lord, our being connected to God. It's otherworldly. It comes from heaven. It comes, it's not of this world. You can't find the joy that Paul's talking about in this world. It comes from our relationship with the Lord. And sometimes I've even had Christians want to debate this, and I've had people, you know, want to say, you don't know my situation, you don't know my circumstances. Friends, I've been at funerals where people have lost loved ones, people close to them, spouses, and they were not happy. That is true. But I looked over during our time of worship, and there they were, raising their hand, praising God, and rejoicing him for his faithfulness, his goodness, and his promises in their life. There wasn't happiness, no, but there was something else. There was something that wasn't of this world. There was joy. And I believe if you are a believer today, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your situation is, no matter where we find ourselves in the world today, we are to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Can you imagine if you had that in your back pocket, that no matter what you were going through, no matter what your situation is, if you were to remember some things, to remember some things about Jesus, to remember some things about your Lord, you in that moment could rejoice no matter what was going on in your life. That's Paul. That's what he's encouraging the church of Philippi to do, and that's what he's encouraging us to do today. But notice what the object of our rejoicing is. It's not rejoice in the things of this world. It's rejoice in the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about today. Why is it that we can rejoice in the Lord? What is it about Jesus that should lead us to rejoicing, that should lead to joy in our lives? That's what I'm going to talk about today, and I would just think about it this way. I mean, imagine these three things that I'm going to talk about that Paul's going to talk about. You have these in your back pocket, and if you're ever in a, in a situation where you're just like, I just need some joy, you go to these three things, and you just reflect on these three things, and I trust that these could... Stir up joy in your soul. So here's the first one. We rejoice in Christ. This is the reason we rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in Christ because he shows us grace. Okay? Shows us grace. Verse 1. Paul says, It is no trouble for me to write uh, the same things to you again. Paul had already talked about these things. 
And it is a safeguard for you. He is serious about protecting their joy. He wants protection, a safeguard around their being able to rejoice in the Lord. Okay? He knows there's some threats to it. So he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, let's stop there for a second. Dogs, okay? Um, you know, we have a hard time understanding this here in the U.S. because we love dogs, don't we? <laughs> we love dogs. I mean, we, some of you have, like, sweaters for your dogs. <laughs> I mean, some of us, like, feed our dogs more expensive food than our kids, your kids get like the dollar macaroni and cheese and your dog's eating like salmon with kibble and it's, yeah, I thought that was funny too. No one else did, but th- <laughs> thanks, brother. I mean, but this is not how much of the world thinks. Maybe I would even say most of the world thinks. They, they're not as obsessed with, with dogs like we are in the West. I mean, in much, much of the world, dogs are hunters. They're scavengers. They're they're, they travel in packs, uh, looking for s- stuff to eat, uh, and, and, and they are often disease-ridden. Uh, and so you try to avoid dogs, okay, so that you don't get what they got. Uh, most of the world does not see dogs as cute and cuddly like we do. They are disease-ridden creatures that, that people try to avoid. And Paul's using strong language here, calling some certain people dogs, all right? Now, why? He's referring to, to, to these people that were known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, here's the scary thing about the Judaizers that we need to understand. They actually believed in Jesus. If you asked them, they'd say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Many of them believed Jesus was the Messiah. But they believed you had to believe in Jesus plus still fulfill some of the Old Testament laws. In order to have a relationship with God, in order for God to love you and accept you the way they would put it, in order to be in covenant... With God, yes, have Jesus, but you also need to do these things. In other words, they would say it's Jesus plus something else in order to be saved. And Paul calls them dogs. He says those evildoers. Who are the evildoers? He's not talking about people selling drugs. He's not talking about prostitutes or tax collectors of that day. The evildoers are religious people. These are the people when they walk into church, people show them respect. They look nice. They, they seem to have their lives together, and they seem to be following the law and living out God's morals, and Paul calls them evildoers. He says those mutilators of the flesh. What is this a reference to? Circumcision. See, they would say you can have Jesus, but you also, if you're a male, you got to get circumcised to be in covenant with God. And Paul has some strong language for such thinking. Look what he goes on to say. He says, for it is we, talking about believers, the church, who are the circumcision. Who are the circumcision. You want to put that as your bumper sticker, right? Can you imagine that? We are the circumcision. What is he talking about here? He's talking about our heart has been circumcised. It's not an external fleshly act. We are the circumcision. God has done something in our heart. Circumcision was a sign that you really were one of God's people. External circumcision was to say, I really am Jesus. I don't know how they checked that. I don't know how they found that out. Okay, I won't ask. But that's not how it works today. Paul's saying we are the circumcision. Now God has circumcised our heart. The sign is we have the spirit of God in us. Working in us and working through us. That is the sign that we belong to God. He goes on to say, we who serve God by his spirit. 
There you see it. By his spirit. Uh, you remember the story of John, John 4, where Jesus is on a journey and he um, travels through uh, Samaria and he comes to this well and he crosses all kinds of boundaries, uh, gender boundaries. Generally, a, a teacher, a male teacher wouldn't talk with a woman, but there's a woman there. Jesus starts a conversation with her. She's Samaritan. He's Jewish. He doesn't care. He's going to start this conversation, breaking down all kinds of gender, ethnic boundaries. He starts talking to this woman, and, and, he, and he, he recognizes she's got some, some problems in her life. I mean, she's coming out in the heat of the day. Uh, most of the time, you would come out, you know, in the morning with others uh, while it was cool. Tells us she was, she was ostracized by her community because uh, she had some issues. And, and Jesus says, you know, I know what's going on. You're, you've been sleeping around and, and you've been divorced, you know, uh, many times. Uh, and so she wants to change the subject because it's a little uncomfortable. So she starts having this like spiritual, religious conversation with Jesus about, you know, uh, I, I know we Samaritans, we, you know, we have to worship on this mountain, but you Jews, you worship on this mountain. And Jesus just says, listen, the time is coming and the time is now where, where, where you will worship wherever you want in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. The spirit is going to be in you. And you don't have to go to a certain place. You don't have to go to a certain location to worship God. Wherever you're at, the spirit is going to be inside of you. You can be in your home. You can be in your closet. You can be in church. You can be in your car. The time is coming where the spirit is going to be inside of us. And so we are going to be able to worship God wherever we are at. That is the sign we belong to this God. He goes on to say, who boasts in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Saying we don't put our confidence in the things that we can accomplish. Things like physical circumcision. Our confidence is in Christ. And I saw a poll recently, and if I understood this poll uh, correctly, this was shocking. It said six out of ten evangelicals still believe in a works-based salvation. Meaning they still believe it's Jesus plus something else in order to be saved, in order to be loved, in order to be accepted by God. Works-based salvation. Six out of ten, the majority, were considered evangelicals. I want to be crystal clear about this. Friends, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in Christ and what Christ accomplished for us. Okay, I didn't plan to talk about this, but I, I talked about it first service, and I feel like I need to talk about it second service as well. Listen, because I'm your pastor and I love you, I, I, I hope this is going to help you and serve you well. There is going to come a day where you are going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, and I don't exactly know what he might ask you. But the question might be something like this. Why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I let you spend eternity with me? Why should I let you into this place called heaven? Okay, friends, I'm going to give you the answer. Okay, I'm going to give you the answer. You might want to take note. Okay, give you the answer. Do not use an I statement. Do not point to anything in yourself. You're going to point to the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and you're going to say, the only reason I should be allowed into your kingdom is because of Jesus. And you're going to say, my confidence is in Christ, what he accomplished for me. Who he is, the one who fulfilled the law in my place and died as my sacrifice so that past, present, and future sins could all be removed as far as the east is from the west in my life. Friends, that's what you're, you're going to do. You're going to point to Jesus. It's all about Jesus and what Jesus accomplished for us in our place, not what we accomplished 
in our flesh. A little later, Paul goes on to say in verse 9, he says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from following the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Friends, do you realize this? That if you put, you've received Christ, you've said, Christ, you are sufficient, and so I'm, my confidence is in you, I'm trusting in you, not myself, I'm trusting in you. Do you realize once you do that, do you know how God the Father sees you? He sees you as absolutely perfect in his sight. You're perfect. Because you have a righteousness that came from Christ. You have a righteousness that's been given to you. That Jesus earned for you. He counts you as perfectly righteous in his sight. That's who you are. You know, there are days where I just feel like I'm just blowing it. As a Christian, as a man, sometimes I feel like I'm blowing it as a pastor. I feel like I'm blowing it as a boss. I feel like I'm failing as a husband and as a father. There are days where I just, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm just I'm messing up. And the only thing I know to do when that happens is to remind myself that I am safe in Christ and that I am loved by God because of what Jesus has done for me and purchased for me. And that's what I do, I rest. And that's what gives me the energy and the strength to get up and give life another shot. It's when I rest in what my God has done for me through Jesus Christ. Friends, we call this grace. This is good news. And so the first reason we can rejoice in Christ is because of the grace we have been shown. Friends, this is really, really, really good news for us. There's more. Second reason you and I can rejoice in Christ is because he is better than the world. He's better than the world. Verse 4, Paul goes on to say, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if Paul wanted to boast in himself and his accomplishments before God, he's saying, if you want me to do that, he's saying, you know, I, I, my accomplishments would outweigh yours. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. It means his parents fulfilled the law perfectly. You're supposed to have boys circumcised on the eighth day. His parents did that. He could check that box for his life. He says he was of the people of Israel. It means he had the right heritage. He wasn't a proselyte, you know, a Gentile who was brought into the Jewish faith. No, he was born into the Jewish faith. He was a child, you know, a great, 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 great grandchild of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But not only that, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, Benjamin was one of the most respected tribes. The first king, Saul, came out of the tribe of Benjamin. And they were actually said they were a head taller than everyone else, broad shoulders, highly respected. So he, he's not only a, 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 an Israelite, a, 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 a son of Abraham. I mean, he, is, he, he comes from the, the respected tr tribe as well. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he says, in regard to the law of Pharisee. And yes, we tend to think negatively of Pharisees. But understand, back in that day, Pharisees were respected. They were wealthy. They had the greatest education. In fact, many Pharisees could re had memorized the entire Torah. They had the entire law me memorized and could quote it. 
Uh, these were highly educated. They had the best education. Uh, at no uh, time were you allowed to have more than 6,000 Pharisees. So this was an elite, elite group. He was a part of that. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Which means, you know, Paul didn't just have a bunch of head knowledge. He was passionate about his faith. He was living out what he believed. So much so that he actually had a man named Stephen, a Christian named Stephen, stoned in, in the streets. And uh, the way the book Luke in the book of Acts describes that for us is uh, it's not that Saul or Paul, who's writing this, was the one who necessarily threw the stones, but they looked to him to give consent to do it. He had to give the nod. What that tells us is Paul was a big deal. It's a big deal. He was a leader. When he came walking uh, down the street, uh, people respected him and wanted to be like him. He says, as, as for righteousness based on the law, he was faultless. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but he means he, he practiced all the rituals, all the sacrifices, all the things he was supposed to do to be considered faultless. Paul was a big deal, but look at what he says in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them scubalon, that I may gain Christ. Do you notice I put that Greek word in there, scubalon? Your translation might say garbage or rubbish, okay? Uh, but the Greek word is scubalon. Can we all say scubalon? Scubalon. You just said a bad word. Okay, congratulations. This is actually a PG-13 word, okay? Um, scubalon in, in, in the Greek. Uh, you know, if this were on a bumper sticker, it might say, scubalon happens. And I know, it's like, we, they change it up in the, in the English because, you know, we know children are going to be memorizing this and, and learning this, and, right? But let me just remind you, the Bible was not written to children. Yes, we can apply it to children. It was written to adults, and Paul is using some strong, strong language here. The language, scubalon, he's saying, compared to Christ, it was all scubalon. So, I brought a prop. I, I know this is a crude example, but this is what Paul is saying here. You need to capture he, the tone and, and the language of what Paul's saying. He's saying, compared to Christ, all those things, all those things on my resume, it was all scubalon. So for us, you know, status, like I said, Paul was a big deal. Man, he had respect where he went. And many of us, we, we want that respect. We, we want to have status. We, we want to be a shot caller. We want to be a big deal. But Paul, he said, scubalon. It's scubalon. No, make sure we get it in there. Keep it clean. Okay. Image. How many of us obsess? We, do we not live in an image-obsessed culture? We do. People just want to have the right, they want to present themselves. That's why social media is such a problem. You know, people want to present their best side. We always see people when they're good hair day. You see that one moment that was actually fun on the vacation gets posted on social media, right? We obsess about image. 
Uh, you probably notice I don't do a lot of social media stuff these days. This can be a problem for me. Plus, I'm not very tech savvy, okay? Um, actually, I've written a blog about it. You can read about it on my MySpace page if you ever want to. But um, I, I just image is uh, something that Paul said he had it. And he said, no, I count it. I count it scubalon. How about sex? Sex can be a wonderful thing between, you know, a man and a woman and the covenant of marriage. It's the most intimate way that you can get to know another person. God created it. It's a gift from God. But it can also be abused. And I think we were honest. We live in a sex-crazed culture. And Paul said in comparison to Christ, sex is scubalon. And then there's money. You know, many of us chase after this. We live our life. We spend our lives trying to get it. And the Bible tells us the, the, the root of all evil, you know, is chasing after money. And many of us get it. And it just doesn't satisfy like we thought it would. Paul learned that these things leave us empty and can't bring the joy Christ can bring. He counted them scubalon. And maybe I didn't mention whatever your thing is, so I just have you name it. What, what is that for you? <laughs> you know, is it, it could be sports. Um, it could be alcohol. It could be drugs. Paul says, in comparison to knowing Jesus, it's all scuba. It's not going to fulfill. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to bring you that joy that we all deep down were meant for and want and crave. Paul said, it is all Scubalon. It doesn't mean all these things are bad things. It doesn't mean these are all bad things. I mean, some of these are good things. But he's saying, you got to get your priorities right. you got to really put Jesus first. These things become idols, and they rob us of the joy that God intended for our life. Have you noticed that we live in, like, also a celebrity-crazed culture? Like, we love to meet celebrities. We'll fill out stadiums to see a, a pop star or, you know, a sports player even a politician, you know, we will go through great lengths. Friends, do you realize that you can know the God of the universe? That you can know Jesus, the one who created all things, the one who loves you far more than any celebrity will love you and care for your life. And you can know him and the joy that he brings you know, recently I was having a pretty bad day, and I was just feeling down, and um, honestly, I was having a hard time just getting off the couch, uh, just spiritually, uh, mentally, emotionally. I was just, I was like, down. And so I just stopped what I was doing. I got off my phone, and I just spent some time connecting my heart with Christ. Just, Jesus, I need you. I just connected my heart to him. I hope you know what I mean by that. The verse that was on my mind was, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And I was like, Jesus, I just need to abide in you. I need some nutrients flowing out of you, Lord, into my life right now. And so I just spent some time connecting my heart with Jesus. And as I was connecting my heart with Jesus, things like his goodness started flowing into my heart. 
Things like his love started flowing into my heart. Peace started flowing into my heart. His faithfulness started flowing into my heart. And it was like I was connecting with this, with this Jesus who's beyond this world. And I, I, could, I could sense it. I could, I could feel it in my heart, in my bones. Jesus pouring himself into my life. And before I knew it, I was walking around rejoicing because of who my Jesus is. This is the life that Christ can give us. When we count these things as scubalon, because our problem is, I mean, would anyone want to go diving back in after these things? But we do. And my hope for you, it won't just be a Sunday thing. You know, I'm willing to count these things scubalon on Sunday and get rid of my idols. No, on Wednesday, on Friday. So that I can make room in my heart to connect with Christ and let him fill me with the joy that only he can give. Church, that's what I want. That's what I want for you. Second reason we can rejoice is because Christ truly is better than the world, better than anything the world has to offer. Okay, which brings us to the third and the last. We rejoice in Christ because we can experience his power. We can experience Christ's power in us and through us. Verse 10, Paul goes on to say, uh, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, now, when we hear this in church, we tend to automatically think that what Paul is talking about is eternal life, and that when we die, we will be raised from the dead. Paul is talking about that. Well, he's talking about something more, too. Paul is talking about experiencing the same power in our lives today, right now, right where you're sitting, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. There is a power that we can experience. And Paul wanted to know more of this power, not, not just in the future, right now. Uh, I've been telling the the E-team, the e and I was telling the board even this past week, that God's been telling me something about 2021, this year we're in. He's been telling me that this is going to be the year of signs and wonders, that we are going to see signs and wonders. Uh, and we've already seen many cases of some pretty incredible things that God is doing through Edinburgh Church, and I don't just mean here at Edinburgh, I mean even broader than that, but he's been doing some signs and wonders here at Edinburgh. This past week, uh, worship pastor Amanda was out in the lobby, and some guy came to the door and kind of like, frantically trying to get in and find somebody. And so Amanda opens the door and he says, your building's on fire. She's like, what? He's like, yeah, your building's on fire. So he came in, he started, went up to the coffee shop, started looking around. It's like, I live across the street and I was sitting in my house and my wife and I were watching TV and we looked out and your building, this part of the building was aflame. He actually, I was so concerned, I got in my car and I drove over here to see what was going on. And uh, so I, I was on the, 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 she didn't know what to do. She called me up. I was in Josh's office, Pastor Josh's office, and she's like, uh, somebody's saying the building is on fire. And honestly, I didn't, I was just like, my first thought was, scuba on. I was like, I didn't know. So I'm like, okay, Josh, Terry, I, we got to go up and we got to check this out. So they climbed up on the roof and they're saying, and maybe one of our units up there, you know, blew up and it's all on fire and um, nothing, 
Nothing, nothing. Now, listen, we had this beautiful sunset that night, and maybe there was some lighting and some things. I'm like, I would be able to tell the difference, I think, from, you know, a sunset and a fire. I don't know exactly what this guy was seeing, okay? I can't say it was next to like oh, spiritual and like Holy Spirit fire, but it got his attention. And I can't help think it pointed him somewhat to like God and what, you know, something about this church. And here's the thing. God doesn't just want to do that for a building with a building. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to use you to point other people to him. Now, here's the part we don't like. Did you catch that Paul said he wanted to even share in Christ's sufferings? It's oftentimes through the suffering when God works the best and does the greatest work in and through us. And maybe some of you are here today and you're in that place and you're kind of suffering and you're in a struggle right now. And I just want to remind you and I want to encourage you. Friends, this is when God loves to show up. It's when we are weak that he is strong, amen? He wants to show up and do a work through your life, so trust him. Trust him. You can trust him. Don't run away from him in your suffering. Run towards him and see what he might do in you and through you because God loves to bring glory to himself. He wants to use you to point other people to himself. He gets the glory, but guess what you get? You get the joy. You get the joy of being used Get to be a part of God's plan. So I just want to encourage you. If you're in that, and right now there's something specific in your life that you're struggling with, and you're just like, it doesn't make any sense, I want to encourage you to remember, this is when God's power loves to show up in your life. It's when life is at its worst that we see God's greatest work working in us and through us. And so we can look back on how God has already done that in our lives, and we can, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Now, I want to end... With this, um, I am a uh, fan of Sour Patch Kids. Anybody else a fan of Sour Patch Kids? Yeah. I love Sour Patch Kids. Okay? Uh, and so I was reading the ingredients this week. Listen to this. Listen to the ingredients that are in Sour Patch Kids. Sugar. Invert sugar. Corn syrup, which is sugar. Okay, you got modified cornstarch. It contains some kind of acetic acid. Natural and artificial flavor, which I, if I had to guess, it's just more sugar. Those are, the, those are the ingredients. That's what is in. I just listed all the ingredients that are in Sour Patch Kids. Listen, I can tell you all about Sour Patch Kids. I can tell you every ingredient. We can study Sour Patch Kids. We can read about Sour Patch Kids. You can look and you can examine Sour Patch Kids. But until you actually take a Sour Patch Kid. Mm, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My dentist, by the way, loves that I love Sour Patch Kids. I get canker sores just thinking about it. Oh, that's good. This is getting awkward. But I tell you this. Because listen, Paul, myself, we can preach to you about who Jesus is till we're blue in the face. We can tell you about Jesus till we're blue in the face. We can read about Jesus. We can encourage you about Jesus till you're blue in the face. 
Until you experience Jesus for yourself, you don't know Jesus. Friends, that's why the Bible says, taste and see that I am good. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. To put your focus where your focus needs to be, to have 20-20 vision and see that he is gracious. To see that he truly is better than the world and to see that he brings a power with him in our lives. Living for something greater than ourselves, living for something that's eternal, that when we have it, where our lives are filled with joy, and it is a joy that you can't find here in this world. It is a joy that only comes from the Lord in heaven who reigns over all things. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you are a believer today, would you put your sights on him? Would you focus in on Christ Put your sight where it needs to be. See if that joy doesn't flow into your life a little bit more today and this week. And maybe some of you, you've never tasted and seen before in your life. Maybe today's the day you say, Jesus, come into my life. And so I want to pray for us. And I want to give us an opportunity to do just that. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Oh, Jesus, you are so good. Oh, we get so distracted with the scubalon. Lord, circumcise our hearts. Some of us the first time that we might be sensitive, that we might be able to see you with clarity and experience you for ourselves. We just say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Maybe it's for the second time. Maybe it's for the third time. Maybe it's for the millionth time. But Jesus, I want to experience you right now. I want to make room in my heart for you all over again. Come be front and center. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that you are better than all those things that tempt me in this world and that when my focus is on you, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. Thank you for your power and your comfort that I need today. And Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Friends, now we're going to get a time to worship this Jesus. Are you excited to worship? Can we worship this Jesus together? Can we get after it? All right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have a stand up. Let's give God glory. Ha ha, ha ha.